Well, kia ora and welcome to this online service and a big shout out to all the awesome mums. Happy Mother's Day and uh, some pretty interesting drawings there, uh, kids. Thanks for sending those in. Well, it's the second week of Level 3, Level 2. Here we come, I hope, and uh, of course we'll find out that tomorrow. We're one step closer to being able to catch up with you, our church and company, and to our New Life family all over New Zealand. I just want to say I hope you're weathering the lockdown well. I'm hearing of all types of things being celebrated, birthdays, babies arriving, and some new babies on the way, which is pretty uh, exciting. Obviously, people have been very busy in lockdown, but I pray this message today will bless you and encourage you. So I want you to turn to the person on the couch next to you, look them in the eye and say, I am so ready for the word today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, your life uh, given for us that we can know you. Help us in this message today, learn to know you more at greater levels and in a deeper way. I just pray your Holy Spirit would be on this message, bring life to the dry bones. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've titled this message today, Mountains High and Valleys Low. Mountains High and Valleys Low. When you think of mountains, what they represent or uh, symbolize to us in Scripture or in life, what comes to your mind? For me, uh, personally, when I think of mountains, what they represent or symbolize, I I think of things like new levels to attain, uh, new uh, heights to aspire to. Mountains, uh, for me, represent obstacles and, and challenges to overcome. Uh, to climb a mountain is to conquer it. In fact, it's so much a part, mountain talk, if you like, is so much a part of our spiritual language. It's, if you like, it's a part of our victory vocabulary and so it should be we use terms like Caleb did in Joshua 14 verse 12 where he at 80 years old can you believe it 80 years old uh, said to Joshua give me that mountain let me have that mountain I'm going after it we're gonna uh, uh, we're gonna take it I'm gonna take it we, we, we talk about uh, moving a mountain if we just have faith as small as a mustard seed we can we can move a, a mountain. So it's very much a part of our victory vocabulary. And of course, uh, when you think of valleys low, it's a little bit different. When you think of what valleys represent or symbolize in Scripture, we, we get a different picture. We, we think of trials and tragedy, uh, uh, sadness and, and, and sorrow. And of course, you have what I'll call today your go-to valley verse which is of course psalm 23 verse 4 and it starts off with the king james version yay i mean i don't think they were going yay i mean they were they were saying yay though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me but it's going to be tough you know we read this valley verse when in tough times when people are distressed or depressed, or when people are having a, a difficult time, this is the, Psalm 23 is the go-to valley verse. And again, it's a, a part of our spiritual language. 
we use it uh, to say things to people like this. Well, bro, you're going through a valley at this time. It's a part, if you like, of our valley vocabulary. That's why it perplexed me somewhat when in Jerusalem, Israel last year, our Jewish guide said in his very strong Hebrew accent, he's like, valleys are good places. Valleys are good places. Last year, as some of you know, Anita and I had the incredible opportunity to travel to Israel on what was called the Jerusalem Encounter Tour. And I want to say it was such an amazing, life-changing experience, one that I would certainly recommend anyone doing at least once in their lifetime when, of course, ever it is, we can fly again. You know, people asked when we came back, did the, did the Bible come alive to you? And the truth is, yeah, it really did. And one of the ways the Bible came alive is we, we had this incredible Jewish guide who I said to our church, he, he, he was really like a university professor trapped in a tour guide's body. We learned so many things on a daily basis when he, when he spoke. And so when he said, uh, valleys are good places, that really caught my attention because I, like you, have uh, often seen valleys in Scripture symbolizing difficulty, symbolizing uh, places of struggle and, and, and battle, like David fought Goliath in the Valley of Elah. The valleys symbolize hardship, sorrow, sadness, and so on. So when he said valleys are good places, and in that moment, in the hot Israel summer sun, I was all ears to hear what he had to say. He said, valleys are good places. He said, here's, here's what I want you to understand. He said, valleys are where people live. He said, people do life in the valleys. People don't live on the mountains. He said, mountains are where people go to meet with God. But they don't live there. They don't stay there. And of course, as you just think through Scripture, it's not too hard to see that to be true. Just think about Moses, for example. Moses had an encounter with God on Mount Horeb, the place of the burning bush. And a little bit later in his life, Moses again met with God and received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, which uh, most scholars believe Horeb and Sinai are the same mountain. Of course, Psalm 121 tells us to lift our eyes to the hills. From where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Mountains are places where men meet with God. Jesus in Matthew 17 uh, tells us, took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Mountains are places where people meet with God. But people don't live on the mountains. They live in the valleys. Even today, for the most part, people don't live on the mountains. They live in the valleys. Not that people couldn't, they just wouldn't. Of course, in ancient times, only kings could live and build in high places. Only 
they had the resources, if you like, the slaves, to live in such challenging environments. You know, while we were in Israel, we visited one such place called Masada. It was built by Herod the Great. It's a fortress that sits high above the Dead Sea on a plateau. Of course, today you can reach the plateau easily by taking a cable car. It takes about 10 minutes, but in ancient times, the logistics of building there, the finance needed, the manpower uh, needed, the water to be able to survive, to, the, the ability to get food up there, the lo logistics of being able to live there are just staggering. See, people don't live on mountains. They live in valleys low. And now, there, of course, there are different kinds of valleys. When our Jewish guide was telling us this, we were not overlooking some deep, dark, narrow chasm. We were in a high place looking over the large, spacious, fertile valley below. A Hebrew word found in Scripture for the word valley is the word Amek, and it means the lowland or the open country. It's the type of land that we find at the base of hills and mountains and it was this kind of valley we were overlooking. It was in this context our guide was saying valleys are good. This is the view from the top of Mount Carmel looking down onto the valley of Armageddon, which is a very big word and one I find hard to spell, but hey, it's not the end of the world. I hope you got that joke. I always have to put it in, but uh, these valleys, these lowlands, this open country is where people live, and why do they live there? Our guide said the answer is simple. Valleys are where rivers flow. Valleys are where lakes form. It's where you can find life-giving water. Valleys are where wells can easily be dug. And of course, valleys are where the best and most fertile soil is found. And because of that, it's the best place to plant seed because things grow better in this kind of valley. Valleys, he said, also are where most of the commerce was done and most of the uh, business was transacted. Why? Be uh, simply because in ancient times, as I guess it is today, lowland and open country, it's just easier to build roads in those places. It's easier to build houses and towns in the lowlands where it is flat. Because think about it, mountain roads are always more difficult and dangerous to build and to travel on. In fact, we have sayings as part of our victory vocabulary. We, we say, hey, take the, take the high road, take the road less traveled. Uh, when we ask why is it less traveled, it's less traveled because it's harder, it's higher, it's more difficult uh, to get to. And that's why mountains are places where people went to meet with God. But God never intended that we live there. We can't stay there. Of course, there are a lot of Christians who want to stay on the mountain and stay in the mountaintop experience, stay in that God encounter. And don't get me wrong, don't get, don't get me wrong, mountaintop encounters are extremely powerful. They're significant, life-changing events. Mountaintop moments uh, define destiny and direction. A burning bush and two stone 
tablets didn't just change Moses' life, but it changed the rest of the world. Uh, you can't underestimate the power of mountaintop moments. I'm just saying God never intended that we stay there. See, let me say this about mountains. Mountains are good to climb because, of course, we get perspective. When we climb a mountain, what looks big in the valley, when you get up high, it seems small and insignificant. If you like, you get a God's eye view. The higher you get, the more perspective you get, and that's good. I'm just saying you're not meant to stay there. Going up the mountain, if you do, uh, think about it like this, it's, it's a high light. Uh, too many people, if I'm honest, are chasing the ministry mountaintops. They're wanting to live there. They're wanting to stay there. They, they, uh, they speak like, oh, if I reach this place in ministry, if I get to this place, it's like if, if I can just get to that ministry mountaintop, I've, I've arrived. A few days ago, I was talking to a significant respected leader from overseas. We were just chatting together, and he is a person who's led some of the most significant ministry in the world. And it's really what sparked, that conversation is really what sparked my sermon today. He, he's really a person who you could say has been there and done that. And he said, you know, Adam, I've been to the top of the mountain. I've been to the top of the ministry mountain. He said, I want to tell you, there's nothing there. He said, if God's not there, there's nothing there. And I was like, whoa. And I started to think, even in life, right, nothing grows on the top of the mountain. Uh, I've been to Ruapehu a number of times, as I'm sure others have. And as you go, you reach a certain place where the vegetation stops, where the tree line is, and it is suddenly barren. There's no soil, only rock. And of course, if you stay there for too long, you'll die. Food must come from the valley below. It's cold on the top of the mountain. It, it snows. We know the weather can change very fast. And of course, the higher the mountain, the harder it is to breathe, the less air that you have. See, at the top of the mountain, there's not much room for others. If you don't believe me, just take a look at the queue as people wait to get to the top of Mount Everest. In fact, the leader I was talking to, he said uh, how he felt at the top of the mountain. He, he realized because there wasn't much room there, that the only way to stay at the top of the mountain was to prevent someone else from getting there. That's why I think we're not meant to live or stay on the mountain. In Israel, we stood on the high hills of the Golan Heights, and from there we could see across to the beautiful snow-capped peaks of Mount Hermon. And the only people who live on the top of Mount Hermon's snow-capped peaks are some UN soldiers. It's actually the world's highest permanently manned military post. It's a United Nations command post on the top of that mountain. It acts as a buffer zone between the Syrian and Israeli-occupied territories. And the post is jokingly known as the Herman Hotel. No one actually wants to stay there. No one actually wants to live there. 
Because mountains are where we go to meet with God. But we're to live in the valleys. So let me tell you about the valleys. Valleys are, as I've said, good places. Oh yes, there uh, can be places of struggles and sorrow. They can be places of trials and tragedy because I guess that's where we live. And you might feel like you're in that kind of valley right now. But I want you to know this. Even if you're feeling like that, know this, that the valley at the same time is the best place for you to grow. It's the best place for you to grow in. That's why I wonder if uh, it is that James uh, said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, and I, I hope you do know, if you don't know, you do now, uh, because you know that the testing of your faith produces. There's something about the testing of our faith that produces, that causes us to grow. You know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Then he goes on to say, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen, the testing or the trial that you're going through in the valley is not meant to break you. It's meant to make you. See, the valley where we do life, where you do life, I want to tell you, it's the best place to grow. It's the best place to build your life strong, mature, and resilient. And you may feel like, wow, I'm, I, I'm in the lowlands right now, but let me remind you, let me say this. Remember, there is a river flowing there. There is a river flowing there. It comes down from the mountains. It comes down from the high place, and it's near you in the valleys. We visited a place called Caesarea Philippi at the base of Mount Hermon. And it was where at the base of this mountain, we found water flowing out of the ground. It came from the melting snow above. And here it was just flowing out in the valley below, coming straight up out of the ground. One of the things I could so appreciate in Israel was just the way they placed value on water. Uh, when you're in a dry place, water is worth more than gold. In New Zealand, I think sometimes we take water for granted. I want to tell you today, in the valley, you're close to living water. It comes down from the mountain, but it can be found in the valley. And in the valley, even the valley that perhaps you're walking through, you can dig a well there. You can eat there. You can find food and drink in the valley. You know, I've said multiple times today that mountains are places where man meets with God. But I want to tell you, it's in the valleys where God meets with us. One of the highlights of our tour was our time spent around and on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, just a special time, 300 of us gathered on three large boats and, and uh, we, people from all over the world uh, took a good hour and just worshipped God in that place. It was incredible. And of course, the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus spent so much of his life 
and ministry. One thing I didn't know about the Sea of Galilee is that it is a freshwater lake that is well below sea level. In fact, it's the world's lowest freshwater lake. It's 214 meters below sea level, making it the second lowest lake on earth. The Dead Sea, I guess, being the other one, which was, is 400 meters below sea level. Uh, but it was interesting to me as I reflected on this and uh, that we all have lowland valley moments, times where we've reached rock bottom through this situation or that relationship that didn't work out or this problem that I'm going through, this struggle, this depression, this despair, this addiction, this habit, this pain. We, we, we've, we've all had rock bottom, lowland valley Moments. In fact, maybe you're there right now. But to me, and I hope to you, it brings great comfort to know that the Jesus who walked and taught among the people did most of his miracles and ministry in the lowest of valleys. It's in the valleys where God meets with us. It's in the valleys where God meets with you. I'm Luke Bowler, I was born in Invercargill. Um, my parents split up when I was about four years old. At my mum's house, life was sheltered. Um, and then we'd go up and see my dad in the holidays, um, where usually a lot of the time would be at the pub. I had a real like craving to just be close to my dad, so I moved up to Wanaka and started to become a tradesman at the age of 16, um, which is where I just found addiction. I dropped into drinking every day, smoking weed every day, started dabbling with ecstasy, acid, whatever would sort of come my way. And um, over those years of addiction, I just went job to job to job, place to place, um, on the run from the cops, parties, girls, fights, drama. I was in and out of prison four times on that journey. Um, my last night in prison was where I encountered the Lord. There was no, for me, there was no belief in God. There was no real belief in spirituality, nothing. I was just a lost, broken mess. And um, all of a sudden I had a demon show up next to me that physically threw me into the wall. Um, I was terrified. I jumped in my bunk and just sat there bawling my eyes out. Um, presence of the Lord hit and my whole cell turned into like a white light. All I heard God say was you're an alcoholic, you're going to be free and you're going to change people's lives. And from there it was a process, it was a real uphill battle of um, falling in and out of alcohol and drugs and all God said to me was Alcoholics Anonymous and that's where I went. Even though God had taken me to AA, I was still against Jesus. I knew God was real, but Jesus wasn't there. I had a business by this stage, so life was going good. From there, like, um, I'd be walking around the cafe, and I'd walk up to people, and I'd just be like, hey bro, here's your coffee, da da da. They'd be like, hey man, I'm blah blah blah, I'm a pastor at this church. And I'd walk off, and I'd be like, I'm not going to church, God, like I don't want to go to church. But it happened time and time and time again. 
so finally I opened up my heart to speak to a pastor. Um, he showed up at the cafe and we started walking around. I just poured out like my heart, my journey, all the encounters, all these things that had happened to me. And I knew he understood what I was saying. And I freaked out. I drove out to my drug dealer's house, got a bag of weed, drove back to my mum's where I was living, still processing the day, and chop it all up. And I sit there and I have one bong, nothing happens. Two bongs, nothing happens. Go to have a third in here, clear as day, throw that away and follow me. I freak out, I jump up, I throw everything over the neighbour's fence, the bong, the weed, the lot. I sat down, presence of the Lord smashes me again. And some guy had given me a Bible, opened it to where Jesus was being walked to the cross, and the words were literally coming off the page and just hitting me. Where it got through to where Jesus re-rose, like, it got so intense that I can't really put it into words. I dropped forward and just started to weep, and then the page blew over, and it had my name, Luke, at the top of the page, and then I heard a voice say, you're now sitting at my table, and in that moment, everything changed. Like, my old self fell off. I didn't struggle. I had everything that I'd ever looked for. And it just come to me. Like, I don't deserve it. None of us do, but he's that good. He is all any of us need. And he loves us so much. I'm done, eh? Incredible. To think the Christ, the anointed one, this Jesus who walked, taught, and lived among us, did most of his greatest miracles in ministry in the lowest of valleys. It's where he healed the sick, where he cleansed lepers, where he calmed the storm, where he opened blind eyes, where he walked on water, where he fed the 5,000, freed people from demonic spirits. It's amazing to me that he who was from the highest place came and lived among the lowest place. It's in the valleys that God meets with us. It's in the valleys where God meets with you. And because of that, that tells me Jesus understands. He, he understands the low places of our lives. He understands uh, the valleys of our lives. He, he gets where we live. That's why Hebrews tells us we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, with our struggles, with our, with our battles. Uh, we have a high priest who's been uh, tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And uh, because he understands who we are, we can, we can then approach God's throne with, with grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time 
our time of need, in our valley, in our battle, in our struggle. Oh, you've got to get today, my friend. You've got to know that He gets you. He understands the valleys that you walk through. And no matter how low we might go, and you might be, as I've said, at a low point right now, know this, that is where Christ It's in the low places that Christ did His best ministry. It's in the low places that Christ did His most powerful miracles. Know that there is no place so low that He cannot reach out His hand and save, heal, deliver. There's no place, no, no, no low place that you can go that He can't calm your storm or deal with your demons. He who is from the highest place went to the lowest place for you. Whatever you've done, wherever you're at, I want to tell you, He's there. See, the good news of the gospel is not that we can reach up to God. The good news of the gospel is the fact that God reached down to man. This kingdom, this uh, kingdom that we're a part of works so different. You want to be first, you got to be last. You want to be great, you got to be a servant. And that's what Jesus was. It says in Philippians, Jesus being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. In another version, it says something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, the work of the cross is not about what we can do, but about what Christ has done. Would you trust this Jesus today? Would you give your life into his hands? You know, the prophet Joel talks about the fact that multitudes and multitudes are in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near. I want to ask you today, do you need to make a decision to follow Him. In your valley today, do you need to make a decision to follow Him? If you're here today and you are listening and maybe this is the first time you've heard a broadcast like this and you, even now, even as I'm speaking, you know that God's speaking to you right now and that you need to get right with God. You need to make this decision that I'm talking about today. Would you make a decision to follow Him? If that's you, in a moment, we're going to pray together. And I just want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I turn away from my sin and turn towards you. Today, I trust in the cross of Christ what Jesus has accomplished. And I make a decision to follow you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we close, let me pronounce a blessing over you and your family wherever you are. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious 
to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.